0: Hello there, and thanks for listening to Life Solved. I'm John Worsey with an update on what's coming up soon. We'll be back after the break from Thursday the 30th of September with some incredible stories about how research here is changing lives everywhere. Historical geographer Professor Humphrey Southall will be explaining how he's mapping English history with a real map that combines data on human histories, place names, and forgotten local customs
1: the Survey of English Place Names, has been running since 1922 without completing. It was not particularly realistic to launch a project in Wales that was going to take a century. They had to do something rather quicker. So I proposed the use of crowdsourcing as a way of of moving a great deal faster.
2: For a lot of our volunteers, it was all about the places. It was about the places they lived, but also how some of them looked at how we're comparing what it was, hundred years ago to what it is now and they found that quite interesting. Others were looking at where their ancestors lived and sort of got a better picture of what the areas were like when their ancestors lived there. Welsh partners have taken the Welsh part of the list and incorporated it into an official list that when developers are looking to create new roads. They're supposed to check against this list to see if there's a historical name they can use, and that's the preference of the Welsh Government, for them to use one of these historical Welsh names rather than just make one up.
1: A Vision of Britain Through Time is a very extensive historical gazetteer of Britain, designed not primarily to to just tell you where places are, but to tell you what they were like. So it contains a great deal of information about counties, about districts, and the interface we've got developed but uh, have not been able to put live yet. In particular, once you've found a, a farm, a street or whatever, in GB1900, it will take you directly to information about the parish that that place was in. And we see that as being a very useful facility, both for people interested in local history, the places where they themselves live. And in family history, the places their ancestors came from.
0: Zooniverse, a portal where 2.3 million scientists and volunteers are collaborating to share knowledge and ideas on our mysterious cosmos.
3: So, I was very much interested in analyzing galaxies, looking at their properties, and seeing so galaxies that look different, how are they different in their formation histories? And I've been used to working with, you know, tens or a hundred galaxies at most, and then you can you can look at them, at the images or whatever data you have, and you can can work with those. If, if we want to look at hundreds of thousands of images, we can't do this alone. That's also the time Galaxy Zoo came about, which then evolved into Zuniverse. I remember at the time, you know, they said, well, why don't we just get the public to look at it for us? And it was like, well, it was one of those light bulb moments. The website was publicised on BBC Six O'Clock News, just when it went live. And that clearly helped to, 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 get, to spread the word and get it out. And I remember how we were then in the evening in crisis sitting because the server crashed. So we had so many people interested in it that actually the server that we had set up couldn't even deal uh, with the demand. I think it really was a new, a new era in, in citizen science. Galaxy Zoo was a completely different pace. It was obviously, it was not actually confined to the UK. It was It, it was international, but of course, there were lots of users in the UK. Contributing enormously <laughs> to it, and then of course, if you have ten thousand users with this rate of classifications, you get use of loads of classifications straight away. It was absolutely amazing.
0: And Dr. Jack Beatty tells us how she swapped the life of a commercial illustrator to create Xenopolis, a collective making art and visual content that aims to capture a diverse, unfiltered social history for years to come.
4: Xenopolis started around about two thousand and seven. Because i had a vast collection of zines and comics self-published material by students staff and other practitioners in the field and i really had nowhere to put it or catalog it or store it and it felt like lots of disparate elements we've got some sort of zines that talk about things like brexit but they're also talking about key issues in the uk so the credit crunch you know particular historical or now historical issues because they're so contemporary and people make them and can publish them within days. Unlike academic publishing, you can get a real feeling of mood and the flavor of the time from them. Actually, it's a good measure of mood. Generally, you you go straight to the voice of the creator. So their moods, their journey, and their sort of experiences can go directly into your hands. And the, the lovely thing about the zines, many of them are printed. We have mostly sort of print versions. So they really do feel like quite a special moment and a connection with someone else. You know, yes. it's an artifact that can be carried, it can be shared. Some of them are actually meant to be sort of shared and swapped or given away as gifts. So they're not made to make money. They're generally a way of just connecting.
0: Those are just a few of the stories still to come on Life Solved. But if you can't wait till September the 30th to hear them... I'll be sharing a few of my favorite bits from across the last five series on this channel every Thursday. You can find out more about all our research online at port.ac.uk forward slash research and share these podcasts on social media using the hashtag LifeSolved.